Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, and we are back. And who do you ask but somebody that you feel like you know? I'm actually a bit nervous about this one because that this guy is is a pro. Uh, he's somebody who helps others, helps them learn, has huge amounts of enthusiasm. Because of social media, I feel like I know him, but I don't. Uh, and I kind of like that, but it also puts a bit of pressure on. I'm interested to see where this goes. I've got lots to ask him, but I reckon he's got a lot to say. So let's not waste any time. He's a very busy boy. The one and the only Mr. Russell Earnshaw. Hello, sir. Well, I appreciate that introduction. You are the first person to ever introduce me as the one and only. Well, you are. You, the the stuff you do makes you the one and only. The the story you've got makes you the one and only. The the question I've been desperate to ask, and I I don't know if you watched the Mighty Ducks when you were a kid, but there's a scene in it where the this the kid gives away his place because he says, "I always knew I was going to be a better coach than I was a player." Now I knew that because I wasn't a very good player. You were a very good player but you've also become this coach. Was coaching something you thought of, or did it just happen? Um, well, I'll just go back on a couple of things. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that you're nervous. Nothing to be nervous about. Um, enthusiasm, yeah, I mean, I love what I do. So, like, uh, actually, I write down now. So I have lists, and, like, in the middle, I just wrote, like, energy and purpose, like, just to keep reminding me that what I do, like, gives me purpose and gives me energy. I think it's quite helpful. Um, I, f- I feel like I have impacts. That helps me a lot. Um, I did used to have Chesney Hawks haircuts, so I would have been the one and only in the uh, mid-'80s, definitely. Uh, school photos would attest to that. Um, I- I- I'll tell you what I did know. I did know that I could have been a better coach than the coaches I had, like quite easily. And I'm not I- – I ask a lot of the other players, I guess, that we worked with and- <clears throat> and maybe like that's happening now. So players are going, oh, I'd be a much better coaching list. Like, but it was pretty obvious to me that, and, and again, I, I, you know, I'm, I'll be provocative. Um, coaching is a postcode lottery. Like some players are really lucky. They happen upon the coach that's going to like get the best out of them and probably a good fit for them. And, and some aren't that lucky. And so probably want to like try and help do something about that and <clears throat> hopefully help coaches help themselves and maybe give them 
light a few fires and get them excited about that. So I definitely knew that. Um, probably when I finished playing, I play a coach for a bit, wasn't that good at it. It was fine at the start when you're a good player, but actually once you move beyond that and you have to understand not only coaching but also leadership, you probably go, mm, yeah, now it's time to call it quits. Um, and then, um, yeah, then I, I guess I wasn't like, wasn't that into it to start with. And I've been thinking about this a lot, so I'm going to go on lots of tangents. Uh, yesterday I was at Google and we were speaking about values and actually like the reality is, you know, the, the behaviours that, that are aligned with your values, you don't live them all the time. Like there'll be moments when you don't, you know, maybe when no one's looking, maybe when the pressure hits you. But <clears throat> I think also the reality of things like values and behaviours is they change over time and probably was a different person then to the person I am now. And so the stuff that gives me energy um, now wouldn't be the stuff that gave me energy back then. I think having kids was quite important. I often say, you know, I'm not saying it's mandatory for coaches to have kids, but I think it's helpful. Um, and I can physically, like, feel, like, the imp impact of, of what coaching does to help me. And hopefully it helps other people, but it definitely helps me. And I know we were just chatting there about how many podcasts you've done, and I'm sometimes like, oh, my God, I've got to do a podcast. And I never fail to leave a podcast completely energised Yep. Loads of ideas. I've just had a brilliant CPD. I feel like I know someone better than I ever did. And that includes, like, so I coached, you know, people like Ben Earl and Marcus Smith for, for reasonable chunks of time. But then when I had them on the podcast, I left going, oh, wow, I wish I'd, like, asked them those questions those years ago because I could have helped them even more. So uh, in, in a roundabout way to answer your question, I did not know that I was going to uh, love coaching as much as I did. And hopefully I'm doing an okay job with it. Oh, you're doing an amazing job. The The other bit that I love, and I don't always do a lot of research, but as I say, I felt a bit nervous speaking to you. There's there's bits about you I had no idea of. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've got other interests, other... I, I didn't know about your other qualifications and that, that other bit of life that just adds to making you that one and only. You've, you've got a CV that makes you the one and only Russell Earnshaw. Well, I am the one and only Russell Earnshaw, but that doesn't, I wouldn't compare myself to anyone else. It was interesting. Uh, last night we had the uh, – it was a really good discussion. I, I love great questions, and I've now – and I'm always trying to think of, a, you know, uh, probably the one I'm asking a lot at the moment is what did you learn about yourself from that experience? Because I did a bit of stuff with the Premier League recently, and I, I felt coaches were, like, not taking responsibility, and they were happily, like, going, oh, yeah, but this oh, – yeah, but what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, I learned that I was pretty stubborn, Rusty, in those type of situations. Okay, that's cool. Last night I was at the, I was lucky enough to mentor some awesome people on the uh, FA technical directors, and we had graduation last night, and they got a certificate, which, like, all I kept thinking was, my mum would bloody love this. Like, you know, certificate in a frame. Oh, my God. Like, if we were rich enough, I think she would have had a certificate room when we were younger. And... Uh, and so I just asked everyone, oh, when, what was the last certificate you got and where is it? And just a great, like, a, like a random question that, again, I'm now going, I need to ask that question more often. Like I uncovered loads about people. You know, Dean Austin, uh, the last certificate I got when he was, when he was 11, it was 100 metres swim. <laughs> so good. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I, I guess you've got, like, different lifetimes, haven't you? And I guess the other thing for me, and I was um, – I think I would probably be diagnosed as like ADHD, like now. Yeah. Um, I get bored really easily. Um, I love fresh stimulus. I love like learning from different environments. There's a cost to that. Probably like a three-hour sleep on a Saturday. Um, <clears throat> of, of your brain hurting and sometimes like some stuff falling out of your brain and sometimes some stuff coming back into it. Um, so I'm just, I guess I'm super lucky in what I do as well and you know, there's a couple of things. To well, one is, like, who you reflect with is really important, isn't it? So you reflect with the same people all the time. You probably have some similar thoughts. And then I listened to Andy Abraham the other day on uh, the Dan Abraham's podcast, and Andy said, like, expertise is defined by the peer group. I go into lots of places where I'm definitely not the expert in the room. And so 
guess part of my role is to harness the expertise within the room, but also like I learn loads like every day. So I've got, as in Google yesterday, sat with Tomasi Karma, who won the World Series, uh, uh, iGem, some people from iGem, people from Tyler Grange, Kirk Ballas from Google. Like I've got like 10 pages of notes. And you, you strike me as being a student. What were you like when you were a student? Were you good at that? Uh, much to my wife's disgust. Um, so uh, not everyone could be like you, Rusty. I was <laughs> like the ultimate geek at school. So um, uh, I did get a C in A level French, but uh, we, we don't. We can't talk about that. But I always got A's. I worked really hard. I loved studying. I loved learning. Obviously, like that's challenging for the rest of my family because I've quite high standards around learning. I think I was pretty good at understanding it, which I think sometimes kids aren't. Um, and again, in coaching and off pitch, I would you now taught economics two years, and I would want the kids to be in charge of their own learning. Well, they are in charge of their own learning. I would want them. I would want to help them help be able to help themselves more. So I would always start, you know, um, mainly t- to delay because I. I'd, I didn't, I was like only a page ahead in the textbook, but uh, start off with, look, let's, you know, chat about learning, what you know, what have you found out about yourself from learning and and start from that point rather than going straight into like uh, the curriculum. Um, So, yeah, I was pretty good. Yeah, I was pretty good at school. I I actually had a really good experience at school and I think it was, you know, it was a long time ago. So it wasn't really pressure that exists today. I think it's like a, really different world world now. I don't think there was league tables. I did it purely for the joy of learning. Who lit that that flame, though? I had some good teachers. I had some, like... So Mr. England, head teacher at the school, was, like, and and introduced me to rugby. But Mr. Frank, chemistry teacher, Mr. Makin, I don't have a strong memory, but I can remember Mrs. Baker, English teacher. Like, I was... uh, I was with a, a lady today who's an English teacher. She's like, what's your favourite book? Oh, what's your favourite? Like, I love To Kill a Mockingbird. It's such a good book. But I, I don't think I would love it as much without, like, my teacher's support. Um, yeah, I think I had lots of passionate teachers. Again, go back to the postcode lottery. Sometimes I'm watching coaches going, if you're not having a good time, it's pretty unlikely they will. Yeah, and that... I wonder that because there's people who talk about that internal motivation, which is there, and but that's another environmental postcode thing, isn't it? I, I'm coming from a tough environment, but I can see the way out is that thing, whether that's kicking a ball or reading a book or I can see my way out. But we need support through that. And now your role is the ripple effect is I'm helping those who are going to help lots of people. So those technical directors you spoke to, they're going to help players become better and hopefully their staff become better. So although you were the pebble that was dropped in, the ripple effect's going to go far and wide. Yeah, and I'm not stupid. So I don't like, I'm not sure I'm like like helping everyone, but I think ripple effect is, a, you know, something I would think a lot about. Interesting, I was just chatting to Kerry Bowley this morning and he's he was at Rangers, now he's in a different role and he's like, you know, actually, I've got 200 coaches here. So the ripple effect is potentially ginormous if I get this right. And that's how I would how I would think about it. And in terms of motivation, like, again, just simple questions that coaches never really ask me, like, why do you love rugby? Why are you here today? Like, what, you know, how, how can I give you better feedback? Like, share one thing with me that will help me coach you better. Like, stuff that... I would be really curious about because it's going to help me like be a better coach for people and just never got asked those questions. And it's always makes me a little bit sad when I'll, I'll go, how many, you know, put your hand up if coaches have asked you those types of questions. And we don't get to the stuff that I think is super important, like motivations, like the energy that like, it's like the, it's like the engine, isn't it? For, for people, you've got to understand it. The, the thing all coaches, whether they're international elite or, you know, kids under seven, the thing they would all ask for more of is time. You know, you can you can have as many cones as you like and as many balls and as well, but the thing people, so those conversations you're talking about, they take time. 
but they're worth investing the time because of the benefit you get out of it. How can you help people make the most of that time? Yeah, it's a great point. And again, I would like uh, Google, you know, I would exaggerate the problem. And let's say you only had 20 minutes of coaching a week with the kids. What would you do? Um, you probably wouldn't do an opposed passing, by the way. Uh, you definitely wouldn't do standing still passing. Uh, and you wouldn't do on your knees tackling. And some people will say, yeah, you, for some kids you would. Yeah, I get that, but it wouldn't be many. It wouldn't be everyone because they're all different. Um, I don't think you have time not to do that. But, like, you can create time, can't you? You can create it with people you spawned or WhatsApp or whatever it is to share stuff. You could start every session with, like, you know, we're going to do two minutes of speed dating. I want you to go and find out two things about people in your team that you didn't know already or go and get yourself in a group of people that, you know, you've got something in common. Um, so yeah, I would, I would be thinking about that stuff all the time. I, you know, I would ask it on the fly a lot with people. Oh, I know she did that. Is that, you know, is that a part of your game that you, that you love doing? Okay. Why? In the same way you asked me a great question around like, you know, what do you think gave you that, that spark around education? Okay. Well, you know, so I'm always interested. Oh, where did that come from? Where did that motivation come from? Okay. Actually, you know, this is a, this is going to provide an opportunity for my family. So actually it was with Tomasi and we were chatting a bit about like, the players that come into New Zealand sevens and where they come from and some of their, you know, backgrounds. And, and it's like really different to lots of stuff that's over here. Um, it's just fascinating to listen. And I guess I just, I always look at a session and you might see 40 players and I'm always trying to think of individuals. I am aware of my biases, that my biases are to, hang out in the middle with the skillful players um, and also to recognise who needs the most support and who might leave the huddle and go to the edge because they don't want to touch the ball. And so, and I might miss some people who are like, uh, I'll be provocative again, but in education, they would be in the middle of the normal distribution curve. So, um, yeah, I just don't think you have time not to do that stuff. And again, like, how can you use the parents? Like, even, you know, parents at the end of training, I want you to give two shout-outs to, to kids that aren't your kids. Um, I saw a good thing at Rosslyn Park Juniors where they had poker chips. I'm not recommending the kids play poker. But they had they had a really large age group at the end of every session. You know, they, the poker chip was presented to um, from one kid to another kid. And this is why I've given you it. I love this moment in training where it looked like you were having a tough time and you came through it. Um, I think we need to normalise those types of conversation pretty quickly. Probably my easiest one is, as anyone comes into a huddle or goes for a drink, I'll just go like, point to someone who. Point to someone who's been a great teammate. Point to someone who's been kind to you. Point to someone who's tried something new and it hasn't gone quite so well. Point to someone who you think you've got something that'll help them get there. And so I can get much more peer-to-peer. I can find out much more about what's in their heads. What are they thinking? Develop relationships between the kids because I put a really high value on it. Um, and people have heard me say this before, I put a much higher value on them to me than them to them rather than me to them. I think lots of people think coaching is me to them. I'm not stupid. Of course, it's part of it. But my experience would say that it's almost too much of it. Uh, coaches should maybe go, let's imagine I wasn't here next week, what would happen? Yeah. If it's going to be carnage and chaos and, you know, and, and that's problematic, isn't it? Uh, and I was... I was um, the, the school thing I did this week, I was like, okay, I made this with the coaches. It's like, cool, get yourselves in a couple of fair teams. And it's like, like, even the adults take like five minutes to do it. Like, there is no benefit to not being able to get into fair teams really quickly. Like, again, like time. How much time do we waste? Like, but of course, if you'd like early on go, look, kids, like, let's try it, let's get good at this, then you can save time later down the line that you're definitely wasting. Um, get better at kids giving each other feedback, you need to do less huddles. Upskill yourself with coaching, you'll do more freezes and less huddles. I was thinking about a couple of things this week that I've seen with coaches. One is that if I banned the word everyone in, what would happen? I think we'd coach better. Uh, the other one was, because coaches stand still a lot and they're like missing. So, of course, one of the things that impacts in training your ability to learn about people is where you're standing. So, like, I watched a couple of coaches, and honestly, they stood still. And I was like, and then I said to them, just for the next bit, you've got to, you can't move, you've got to stand still. And they were like, 
oh, that's going to be really hard, Rusty. And I was thinking, you've done it for the last 20 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> so if you could only stand in one place, where would you stand? Or I might say, look, you've only got 100 steps. Right, use them wisely. But just to make people more aware, because go back to your original thing, like there are things that impact your ability to, to do that stuff, aren't there? And so bringing in parents, creating some time away from training, making yourself more effective at transitions between one activity and another. The kids being able to coach one another rather than one coach having to coach 40 players. Then, yeah, that, that would be me thinking like there's, there might be some solution. You've, we've been talking for almost 20 minutes. And, and No, no. And you've never mentioned technique, how to execute skill, uh, a drill, I hate that word, but you've, you've never mentioned any of those things. It's been entirely about relationships, management, leadership. There are, my worry coming out of COVID was because people had so much time and YouTube and, you know, these these things that we're doing now, we're talking about things, that kids were going to arrive back at sessions or players were going to arrive back at sessions and their coaches were going to have them juggling with, flaming swords as they approach a tackle bag to sidestep it while catching a ball between their knees because they'd seen all these weird and wonderful things but everything you've described there is on that relationship between coach player 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 coaches coach and parents how how do you get across that importance in the work that you do yeah and look i don't think that I'm not saying that technical and tactical isn't important. I actually love coaching that stuff. So I'm not I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that, like, coaching is lots of things, isn't it? And tech-tack is part of it. And just as you were talking then, I kind of thought, yeah, so if we take passing in rugby, well, there's a lot of components to passing in rugby, like what pass am I going to make? When? What do I do before to get into a good position to receive a pass? Where do I look? in order to help me make a decision whether I pass or I don't pass or I kick. What do I do after I pass? Do I follow the pass? Do I set up because I think there's going to be a rook? How do I anticipate? Um, who's outside me? Do I need to pass it a bit further in front of Bruce than Rusty because Bruce is quicker than Rusty? Like, so, and then we go, we're coaching passing. And I think, no, you're not. Coaching, like, a tiny little bit of it, of one type of pass. And you're giving them, like, Who's in charge of feedback? Like, I want you to do passing, and when it's nine or ten out of ten, just tell me where you feel it in your body. Something like that would put them in charge of feedback. Uh, I'm not stupid, by the way. So, at a young age or with a novice, like you might have to do some, you know, reps. Um, I would. My preference would be to try and put that into context as soon as possible, even if it's five attackers against one defender. That would, you know, they do five against zero. Fine then. Then we move them to the next level. Um, I think that's where people then find it hard, is then coaching in a game. So I think the reality is like it's quite easy, isn't it? Controlled exercise. Know what I've got to look for as a coach. I'm going to look at whether the hands go towards the target. Um, by the way, you should probably look at where the ball's going because it's actually about effectiveness. And I'm going to, if they don't, I'm going to tell them that it, they didn't put their hands towards the target. I might ask them a question. Did you? I might ask them a really, you know, like uh, convergent question. Did your hands go towards the target? I might ask them a more divergent one. You, are you aware of where your hands went? Like, but that's quite controllable. Um, versus in a game where it's actually a bit more dynamic, and we might have to use freeze or replay or introduce a second ball or pull someone out and do a little bit of. I think that's where we're at in terms of rugby coaching. Is actually how can we be more effective at coaching in games? Um, my observation, I don't think we're that good at it. It's actually one of the things that we're going to do up in Scotland, and I'm I'm excited about it because I get to hang with Fletcher. I think it's very good at it. And um, How do you get better at it? You practice, you reflect, you sit with the players, you ask them what was impactful, you co-create sessions with them, all of that. So, I'd look, to go back, I think tech tech is super important. And, again, like, I, I, love the, I love tactical warfare, so I love the fact that teams are going to play differently. We're going to try and surprise you with this. We're going to like present a problem to you that you've never seen before. A bit like Quinns did when they won the competition. A bit like Saracens have this year. Like their offloads are ridiculous. They're like top offloading team in the competition. Like completely changed their game. And so they didn't win the competition the last year and they've 
gone away and they've tried some different stuff and <clears throat> people are still a bit surprised, aren't they? So I think there's one game I watched where they were playing um, Queens and it was like 30 offloads to eight to, in Saracen's favour and they won the game and I think people would expect the Quins were offloading more. But I think they've gone, I think they've like moved away from their identity a bit this season, if I'm honest. And then I just wrote down, so there's a couple of teams I do some stuff with. So Oyanak just got into the top 14 and we did a, we've done loads of projects and we're going to tweet on them in, a, in the next couple of days. But like one of them was around deselection conversations. Like, so if you are Joe Elab, you're deselecting 20 players a week. Now, let's say on average one of those conversations lasts, let's say, 10 minutes. Like, that's a ch big chunk of your week. So, actually, that is a skill you need to get better at as a coach. So, we try experiments. We go, actually, why don't we try it this way this week? Why don't we have a go with this? With this person, let's so, and, and I would say Joe is like, and, 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 and here's like a measure of success. So, I messaged Tony Ensor, who wasn't in the 23. He was at the final. I saw him on the pitch with his kids on the telly after the game. I said, oh, mate. Um, mate, good to see you on the pitch with the kids. Hope you're well. And he just went, he just said, mate, I've loved today. Felt like I played 80 minutes. Well, he wasn't in the squad. So, like, so Joe's having, like, restorative conversations, you know, motivational interviewing. He's actually really thinking about how does he do those conversations. We also did another project with them where we went, imagine our first and second choice players were injured in every position. Enough, and our third choice team had to win the final. What would we do now, eight months out, to make sure that happened? No one's thinking like that. I think Bath Rugby a few years ago, they their analysts presented that their third choice scrum half played scrum half for six minutes in the week. You're not going to close the gap between three and one. Now, of course, I'm not saying like bring one down, but I am saying, are we giving? The best opportunity for our third choice players. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To, like, be as good as they can be. So we did projects like that with New Zealand Sevens. We did stuff around, like, co-coaching. I was just with Tomasi this week. Tomasi videoed his meetings. So we did a meetings project where... He just video meetings and go, right, I'm going to try this today. I'm actually going to try this. I'm going to use this to find out who doesn't know stuff in the meeting. I'm going to use this to see if we do this in a more playful way that it's going to, like, transfer to the pitch. So there's lots, you know, and again, it depends. Like, if you are, um, a, you know, a Sunday morning mum or dad, then perhaps more of it is your on-pitch stuff. Perhaps a lot of it is, your, like, your co-coaching, which can be quite problematic at those ages. Um, I'm not saying we don't need to help people with technical, tactical understanding because, again, I, my experience is that it could be significantly better. And I'm talking about at the top end of the game as well. I've got a just had a coach reach out to me um, who uh, has been in a European Cup winning coaching team this year and just say, look, I, I, there's some aspects of the game I don't understand. Rusty, can you connect me with some people? So I've just connected with him. With Jeff Parling around lineouts as an example, and I connected with Peely around scrums, and um, and that's probably the one. I think that's the difference, isn't it? Like um, this coach has just won the European Cup, and yet he's still curious and wants to get better. Joe Lab is curious and wants to get better. Tomasi Karma is curious and he wants to get better. Clark how, how, how much of that curiosity 
to do some of those things needs bravery too. Oh God, yeah. So, so someone I saw. Um, I'm going to give him a shout out. Who was it? Speaking about creativity, oh, Chris, 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 Chris. It's going to come back to me. Um, and he spoke about uh, creativity is like is like your knowledge. It's like your evaluation, your ability to evaluate, and it's also like um, what's the word? Like being able to see in the future. Like oh, what's the word? Like imagination. And I was like, I think it's also permission. So I agree with what you're saying. Like it's it's bravery. It's it's the environment you're in, isn't it? Like I've been super lucky to have hung out with Fletch in the pathway. Like didn't feel like I was working. Felt like we were trying experiments every day. When stuff went wrong, like a super like he was awesome about it. Not chilled, but like cool. What are we going to learn from this? What are we going to do better as a result? And that's not to say it didn't feel like really demanding as well. So when we did national academy meetings and you were almost defending the stuff you'd done with your players to help them get better. Like that felt quite demanding. To, you know, you were like, I've got to justify the work that I'm doing. Um, and again, I speak to people who go, Rusty, could you come and watch me on an away game, please? Because when we're at home, I have to behave this way. and I don't want to behave this way. So it is, of course it is. It's, it's the environment you're in, isn't it? And, to be brave and you know people will talk about things like psych safety and it's um i'm not stupid i mean that's that's ultimately why i work for myself i get offered jobs to work for people but like i just don't want to be like you know trapped in an organization that lacks leadership and so I, yeah. I i hate the i hate the moral high ground that rugby often takes over football but you've you've just been working in football how brave can some of those people that you've worked with in that game when it's so ruthless that if your results are not going by and your whole team's gone because the next guy's coming so it's not just you and your assistant it's it's the whole group that goes how how are you able to negotiate that one? Well, it's a false dichotomy, isn't it? Like to say that bravery might lead, you know, it's got to, I think bravery is probably going to lead to good results. Like you look at the two bravest teams in the Premier League at the moment, it's probably Brighton and it's probably Brentford. And those two teams are doing stuff. By the way, I don't understand what Brighton are doing on the pitch, but everyone tells me it's really brave. <laughs> I go to other clubs. So I was in West Ham the other week. And they were talking about how Brighton play and going, God, the way they play is brave. And you actually look at their results, they had a couple of like 5 0 losses, haven't they? So they've won some games and then they've lost heavy. So, you know, risk reward type stuff, I guess. But those two teams have like been brave and done really well. I think sometimes like the moment when you eventually get brave is when you're in the relegation zone. So there's a bit of the discussion we had yesterday about Google. Google is like, the teams that I work with, and again, I sent, I'll give you another example, I sent Ian Peel a message the week of the final and said, mate, good luck, hope it goes well, I hope you have an amazing week. He, he, and by the way, they had Tomasi in for that week. On their final week, they had another random coach in they'd never met before, and they gave him time. He sat for hours with coaches and players and had conversations with them. When I messaged Peely, he said, oh, mate, looking, uh, you know, looking forward to having a good week. Uh, mate, send me some places I can go in the summer. I really want to keep getting better. Like, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Like, so I see it again. I see it in different environments. Ultimately, it's down to leadership, quite frankly. So I know you've said leadership, but like, you'll have been in teams and organisations where you felt, I feel like I can, I can go and try stuff here, and I'm not going to get humiliated. I'm not going to get shamed in front of people. And you'll have been like me, who. When I uh, shared some stuff at Eastbourne College about, you know, I'd, I'd been trying with the teachers. The headmaster took the mickey out of me in front of every single member of staff. And I left the room and went and told my wife that we would be moving to a new job because I wasn't working in an environment where that was what the leadership was. So leaders got to think long and hard about, like, their behaviours and how they impact you know, the growth yeah. of their team. So when... When were you, when you were lacing up boots as a player? When did you have that? When were you in a culture and environment where that was the case? Um, 
up until the age of 20. When did I join Bath? Up until the age of 22. Um, and interesting. Uh, and again, there's some amazing environments where you go in, you know, Saints, probably a good example. Alex is doing great stuff at Sale. Um, you know, obviously, Sarri is where you go. Players are actually like, I've sat in meetings in, in those clubs where players have challenged coaches and gone, no, 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 we're not running that move. Actually, we need to know those videos. They don't play like that against us. We need to see some other footage. And I've been in clubs where players have told me that I'm not going to try anything on Saturday because I'll get shamed on a Monday morning, Rusty. So um, it's tough, isn't it? Because under pressure, leaders often go to their default. I think lots of leaders in rugby were forwards. They're often like back five of the scrum. Um you know, we were tearing around, trying to smash people, quite angry, um, over the ball, fighting with people, um, you know. So so under pressure, some of those people go to like their default, don't they? I'm generalising. I'm only doing it to be provocative. But the, the point being that, like, as a leader, you've definitely got to think about the impact your actions have. Like, as simple as a hands-on head, even if you didn't make the mistake, Bruce, I have now signaled to you how I react when mistakes happen in this environment. You only need to be near to it or hear about it. Um, so I guess it's... Uh, the yeah, the guess ripple it's, effect there is big as well, though, because although it, although it wasn't me that made the mistake, my mates watched you and thinking, right, I can't make a mistake or I'm going to get that reaction. So it, it, is, it, is, a, it is a huge thing. When, when you were a player... Did we're, we're creatures of our environment and our experience, so you would have picked things up from those coaches, and and being on the seven circuit must have been amazing for you because you would be soaking up from that team and that player and that coach, and that that must have been a huge learning experience. Was there a point where you felt invincible? I'm on top of my game because I've got every you know that perfect storm the coach the teammates me the environment the place i'm in how life is outside this is me playing my best cambridge uni <clears throat> i've said before if cambridge is 100 out of 100 nowhere else would get above 40 uh, but you did so sevens is like <clears throat> sorry i was thinking 15 but sevens was probably my happy place because you also tour so I actually think rugby is about like travel and connection and experiences. And you know, that's why I would find it hard to be in the Prem because most weeks look quite similar in lots of the clubs, not all the clubs. Um, so, um, yeah, I had some great times with sevens if I'm honest. And it probably affords you a bit more freedom, isn't it? You're not planning three-phase moves in sevens. You're not being told off for, you know, for, for where you, you should or shouldn't be standing. Um, and it probably influenced, you know, again, as a coach, I've been really lucky, haven't I? Coach seven. So that, that puts a big onus on like decision making, skill, kicking game, the ability to like defend in wide spaces. Um, I coached the backs with England as a forward. Like, I wouldn't know that many forwards that have a real good understanding of attack. I learned so much from those players. Like, and, and obviously Waltz and Fletch as well and all the others and Sean Perry and Luffers and Hilly and, you know, you, those jobs are like amazing jobs. Um, it's basically like a, the best opportunity ever to go to uni for a period of time as a coach, learn from others, get into other environments. Like, So I was very, um, yeah, probably had some uh, some good luck along the way. When you're, when you're in that Sivens circus i don't know if you watch the simpsons but there's an episode where the yo-yo um people arrive at the school and they do this yo-yo demonstration and then they all get chucked in the back of a minibus and sort of barked at and the next day everyone's rolling around with a yo-yo that to me is what the seven circuit looks like everybody stays in the same hotel you ship into hong kong the next week you're in singapore you then get a couple of weeks off and you're away there but those, I've spoken to so many people who have been on the circuit, coaches and players. You were sharing coffees with them. You know, you had a beer with them on the Sunday night after the tournament was finished. You're in the airport. You, you build relationships with people from completely different 
environments and cultures. You, you're still doing that with the work that you do. Was there points where you thought people were making the most of it? Did you see people and think we're going to be, I'm going to be working against them or with them in a few years time? Were there people who were players that you thought they're going to become like a Clark Laidlaw? I mean, for a Scotsman to do what he's doing. He's a terrible player. He's definitely a better coach than he is a player. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Were you aware of people and you thought, yeah, they'll, they'll do something. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And circus is probably a, a good description. Just feel like you're like, whoa, what is going on? Um, and again, sometimes people look down on sevens coaches, don't they? But in a weekend, you play six games. You do, you do six pre-matches, six warm-ups, six half-times, six debriefs. You play against another team that's tactically different. You deal with the emotions of winning and losing and then having to play again pretty immediately. You're sharing a hotel with people that might have just beaten you, you have got distractions, you are thousands of miles away from home with jet lag, like, as a player and a coach, I couldn't pick a better learning environment, quite frankly. So when people go, are oh, they just a sevens coach, or is just a sevens player, I'm like, so narrow-minded, quite frankly. I mean, Clark, he's done an amazing job with the sevens, and I'm sure he'll do an amazing job with, uh, with the Hurricanes. Um, and then interestingly, I went back and spent uh, a day with the Kiwis last year in London, and it was all the same people in the room. Damien McGrath, there he is, you know, uh, Mike Friday, there's Mike, there's Tony Rock, there's Simon A. Like, it's fascinating, isn't it? Actually, I think like England over the years, because of their success, have produced some, some coaches. You know, you look around the room, you actually go, my God, there's a lot of English coaches here. So we've got some good coaches out there who've, who've, who've learned a lot, and yeah, it probably doesn't surprise me that Someone like Rocky's obviously going to the World Cup with England. It doesn't surprise me that Tomasi, who's like a, a a rugby computer, is going to be like a, an amazing coach. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think yeah, and what you said about it, like I, you know, I probably didn't, probably wasn't that aware of it at the time. If I'm honest, I, gen- I probably generally lacked awareness at that stage <laughs> of my life. Um, and um, yeah, just like. So many like corridor conversations, sitting down, chatting to, you know, you'd, you'd coach against Carl Brown and then you'd go and sit and have coffee with him and, you know, connect with Carl a bit on stuff at the moment as well. And then you, you know, go back. I've been back to SAS in uh, South Africa and caught up with, you know, their coaches several times. And <clears throat> so I guess, you know, and that's how the, the rally, Clark Laidlaw was assistant coach in New Zealand. And then during lockdown, just contacted me and said, mate, would you present to me how you will beat us? Like, so, and again, like, it's just different, isn't it? Like, we've sat in minibuses together. We've been in hotels together. We've, like, we've been through the highs and lows together. Like, you've had some experiences there with people that, I frankly, I've never had with teammates I've played 15s with. And, and these are people from other teams, quite frankly. So it's, um, I think it's cool. And I'm going to be really provocative. I think it's a disgrace that the richest union in the world is not funding and um, looking after sevens um, at a time when we need different versions of the game, we need to excite the game. We need energy around the game. There was a million dollar tournament happening in New York in a few weeks. Like, you know, there's an Olympics next year. Like, yeah, we got a GB team, but we have players that we're talking about going on strike. Like, I think it's a disgrace. It's, I am biased because <laughs> I love sevens. Uh, and there will be lots of people, you know, who would feel similar to me. But yeah, I think we're missing a great opportunity there, really, because people think, and if there's nothing there for them to aspire to, then it's it's challenging, isn't it? Or if what what is there is like kind of pieced together on the back of a fag packet, then then it's you know, we're not gonna we're gonna miss some opportunities to excite some people and get them to love rugby. And we're missing the chance to develop as many players. We've gone from three into one and coaches and S&C staff and physio. There's there's a lot in there. One of the bits that amazes me about the seven circuit and the relationships between the coaches and players, you've got a lot of time to spend in the same physical space as those players. If you're director of rugby at a 15s club, you've got 50 players and however many staff and your contact time 
can't possibly be what it is in sevens. But you travel with two coaches, an SNC, a physio, and maybe a bagman for 14 players. Or those relationships, those conversations are far more intimate. That would that would challenge a lot of people. Yeah, and uh, and after I had a go at the program, a shout out to Scotty Riddell, who's going to uh, go and coach GB for a bit. He's a great man, and obviously doing stuff with us at Sandbar. And I'm not surprised he's like a great coach because he's a great human and like a, a real deep thinker of the game. And his aspects of the game that he was really good at are like super important in sevens, aren't they? Um, yeah, we just stay in touch with people. Like before the world, I mean, immediately when you started talking about that, it reminded me of like. Two days before the World Cup, we had a, like a jersey presentation. Um, I honestly cried for 30 minutes. Like, and I, honestly, it was the most. And I actually created, me and Dan Cooper, created like a, a video and we got like, uh, I got Idris Elba, I got Lanny, I got the British and Irish Lions, and we created a good look video, which is funny. So there was a bit of the meeting that was funny, and then after that, I cried for half an hour while people were presenting jerseys to each other. And because you kind of knew, well, I knew I was leaving after that, and I knew that, and that was like pretty tough. And still stay in touch with so many people, still see them when I travel around the world, um, check in with them, do work with Ollie Phillips for Optimist Performance, did some stuff with the Western Australian Institute of Sport through Carl Cook and the Dean's husband, who is our team manager. Like, it's um, it's such a huge part of my life. Um, again, like definitely had huge influence on like certainly in my playing and also my coaching as well uh yeah times in the bus oh just like good times really don't tell my wife (laughs) it's really hard work uh, hotel all the time Uh, i wasn't eating burgers um, or having milk smokes on room service that never happened You mentioned it earlier about being a dad, and I've said this. I became a better teacher when I became a dad, um, and it's not a rule, it, but it, it applies to me. I became, a, and I think probably then a better coach too. Why? Why did you say that? What made you say that? Uh, my daughter really. So Fred's probably quite like his dad. Um, loves his sport. Definitely like. Um, rugby like quite extroverted um elsa is well she's a girl she's different to dad uh much more introverted loves arts and crafts and like does sport but like if they wanted to play in the bees she wants to play in the seas with her mates by the way i don't think they should be streaming but that's another story isn't it um, they definitely shouldn't be the first week of school uh, <laughs> Can make incomparative judgments between kids, should they, based on very little knowledge? Oh, it's pretty weird. Um, uh, but of course, they go, Wherever we've got a fixture at the weekend, yeah, but you don't have to have a fixture at the weekend, or it doesn't have to look like that. Um, so yeah, my daughter, just like watching her and how she is around sport and going, right, I've got kids like that in my sessions as well. Like, how would I coach them? What would be helpful? How do I like? Yeah, so that's just made me really aware as well. Uh, probably also, like, it makes you, like, really value staying away and in a hotel, doesn't it? Because when <laughs> you get, like, two kids who don't sleep and i got mates who are, like, who are a bit younger than me, I'm 48. I've got there's a guy the other day who's 41. He's got a one and a three-year-old. I'm, like, thoughts and prayers, mate, thoughts and prayers. You will eventually be a better coach when you get some sleep. Um so, yeah, just like cool. And I guess you just ask them about it, don't you? And you go through their experiences and you, you, you watch them interact with other coaches and go, oh, that's quite cool. Or you go, oh, my God. Um, and I find that tough, if I'm honest. I'm probably like my wife is. My wife doesn't, like, she just wants everyone to be happy. And I'm like, I kind of want them to be having a really good experience. And there's times when they haven't. And, of course, I I understand the benefit of that. I definitely don't want them to have a smooth road, but I, I also don't want them to like go. I'm not enjoying sport, so yeah, I guess just having those experiences, seeing them from a, you know, in the third person has been has been helpful for me. It, it's interesting you say that. I there's two things for me. One is the way I speak to kids. While I don't think I was ever 
that bad. I think I've got better at speaking to the kids I teach or the people I coach because I've become a parent. But the other one is, and I've only realized this more recently, is I think I'm a better parent because I've been a coach. Yeah. I think some of those experiences have helped. Yeah, my wife might disagree with that, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely saying it's true. Um, yeah, of course it is, because again, you have to, you know, like my wife's like she's a rock star, and she works in a school where, you know, they they do games on the playground. It's not very big. They can have ninety kids. She's like one of the kids is blind. Um, they got kids from Russia and Ukraine who don't speak a word of English. Like, and there's two coaches, and you're like. I'm like, okay, like, how'd you do it? Like, and so, like, which she's definitely helping me, like, think about, think differently about my coaching because also she's, she's probably dealing with more neurodiversity, and so I'm, yeah, she she doesn't know, but she's coach developing me at the moment. Listen, I know your your time's precious, um, and I really appreciate. I I could speak to you for much much longer but you you've got other places to be and people to speak to um i'm going to ask you this question which is is probably quite a brief one so for me happiness is egg-shaped but for you rusty happiness is oh did you ask that question that's a good question uh what is it what is it what is it i think it's a really hard thing to do so there's a really good podcast i'm going to give a shout out to a good podcast called a guy called ed milet and it's he's on the jay shay podcast I just think like staying in the moment is like the most important thing. I'm not saying it's easy to do. So there have been times in my life where you're like stressed about something there or you're worried about something's happened there, but just finding happiness in every moment, which fingers crossed, touch wood, it's probably a place I feel like I'm in at the moment is like, yeah, it's a good place to be. That's one to discuss another time. It's taken me a long time, but I think I was in my 30s before I was properly happy with myself. But, but I get what you mean. Yeah, and I guess also you probably look back. I would definitely look back, and I think I was happy with myself in the 20s, but I look back now and go, I can't believe you're happy with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably closer to it. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that guy you were happy with? He's, he's an idiot. <laughs> he's an idiot. What's he thinking? Uh, no, look, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. And yeah, we maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get time to do another one at some yeah, I'd love that. Rusty, thank you so, so much. Great to speak to you. See you again, I hope. Cheers, mate. Be good. Absolutely love that. So much to learn, so many things to think about. If you enjoyed it, you can catch us on Apple, Acast and Spotify, or you can watch on Facebook or YouTube. He's going to be in Scotland in the week coming up for the coaching conference at Murrayfield. If you're roundabout, please get there because it will definitely be worth it. And he's getting the band back together. He'll be with his main man, Fletch, and that is a double act well worth tuning in for. If you've enjoyed it, my name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast, and my happiness is is egg-shaped. I look forward to seeing you all again very, very soon. 